Talk, Season 4 of the Telly Award-winning podcast, standing in solidarity with the Writers Guild of America, knowing that if Joe McMillan were here, he'd most certainly remind us that the strike isn't the thing, it's the thing that gets us to the thing. I am Rylan Grant, screenwriter, Ringo Award-winning creator of fine comics like Aberrant Banjax, and now Fa Shang Origins, the other voice in the dark, the man in the box to the left is... Um, David Avalone, uh, screenwriter, comic book writer, and ANSA astronaut. Love it. If you missed any of our previous conversations, episodes featuring comic luminaries like David F. Walker, Matt Fraction, Stan Sakai, Kevin Eastman, and Rodney Barnes. If you missed our uh, our episode last week with uh, television writer Melody Cooper uh, on this very topic of the writer strike, uh, uh, this this thing that we're wrestling with again uh, uh, this week, you should double on back. Check it out. Our entire catalog can be celebrated via YouTube, iTunes, and other purveyors of worthwhile ear crack. So get on it. Uh, but we have an incredible show for you today. But let's uh, let's check in a little bit before we uh, we bring Chris on. What do you uh, what do you have going on this week, Evelyn? Uh This week, remembering that we're recording this for next week, uh, Elvira in Monsterland number one is still on your shelves, unless it has sold out. Look, he's got a yeah. copy. Yeah, I, nice. I, I bought ten copies last time. So um, <laughs> smart. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm getting them slabbed. I'm counting on these. Uh, you know, very nice, data. very nice. Oh, and then while you mention that, uh, if you have a trove of David Avalone comics that you would like to be entombed in carbonite and valued by a corporation, uh, go to the CGC website and uh, find the Elvira slash Cassandra Peterson slash David Avalone. CGC signing. I think they're taking comics until late June. Uh, so please do send them your comics and pay them a lot of money so they can pay me a little money to sign them for you. Love it. Um, but I got that going on. I'm, I'm a bunch of other stuff that is, as usual, waiting to be announced. But what do you got going on, Rylan? Uh, I am, uh, you know, with my film and TV stuff on the shelf right now, I am knee deep in Immortal Studios stuff. So, uh, uh, you know, preparing for that big dynamite launch, uh, and I got brought on to, uh, you know, write a, another title for them and consult on some other ones. So I am, uh, I am lost in the, uh, in the immortal verse right now, Very nice. uh, which is a good place to be. Um, but I should also pimp this again. <laughs> um, <laughs> this, uh, issue of the incredible Hulk, Hulk annual number one, which is out now in comic shops, uh, as of two weeks ago when this airs, uh, written by our friend David Pepos, but starring yours truly, uh, uh, I am the star of a incredible Hulk, uh, comic book. I am an intrepid, uh, uh, and, and very aggressive, uh, filmmaker who goes into the, uh, the, the jungle to, uh, to find the missing Hulk and capture him on film and hilarity and destruction ensues. Sure. Um, but yeah, it's cool uh, being the protagonist of a, a Marvel book. <laughs> <laughs> I, I highly recommend it. So, uh, you know, so I don't know. You know, maybe um, I don't know. Maybe we'll talk to Chris and he can uh, get me in an, a, another issue or something like that. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, but but I digress. Uh, as I I tend to. Uh, why don't we bring Chris on and let's absolutely uh, let's get down to Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, and otherwise, uh, Christopher Cantwell. Welcome, Chris. Hey guys, how are you? I I forgot about the intro. I was not ready for it. I was looking at my. <laughs> Nobody yeah, ever is blown back out of the chair. I sublet my office out of a, a, a like a 
investment company that and the, the owner is down there. So I'm sure once in a while, he never hears anything from my office, but when he does, it's usually something insane. So yeah, that was good. <laughs> I'm like glad. our intro. One of my favorite things is when we're doing the intro, I watch the guest in the green room for the reaction. <laughs> did I have one? I don't know if I had a bit of, <laughs> You did. No, you, you laughed. It was, uh, it was, you, had a, you had a good reaction to it. It was very funny. But yeah, especially if they've never been on the show before and they have absolutely no idea what's coming. Uh, I try to warn them a little bit, but, uh, but Great. yeah. So tell the kids at home a little bit about yourself before we dive in. Uh, all right. Well, uh, uh, let's see. I'm Chris Cantwell. Uh, I am a TV writer, um, TV and film writer, currently on strike, obviously, uh, uh, and a comic book writer to boot. Uh, so I've done, um, I've written on Iron Man. Uh, right now I'm writing a Superman story for uh, the relaunch of Brave and the Bold, Batman Brave and the Bold, as it's called. Nice. For DC, um, I've got Hellcat with Marvel, um, which is uh, three issues in at this point, and I'm I'm writing Star Trek Defiant as part of the big nice. IDW relaunch of a shared Star Trek uh, comic book universe that's canonical and fits into the miniseries and movies of those uh, wonderful shows and that legacy. So uh, I'm doing that uh, over there, and uh, and yeah, that's me. I created a show called Halt and Catch Fire with my uh, partner christopher rogers and that show went for four seasons uh was an ep on the first season of paper girls for amazon and just just doing some stuff until all of a sudden we weren't right so right. so so chris you, you heard in our opening conversation uh a-list filmmaker rylan grant yeah. is now an established character in yeah. the marvel universe <laughs> yeah that's amazing uh, yeah he has his own character page and everything so i'm just wondering you know, uh, you've written a lot of Marvel books. What What is next for Rylan Grant? How are you going to play I don't him? know, but I can't wait to kill him. I will yes, say that. Yeah, please right. do. <laughs> that, 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 that would be the ultimate compliment is for yeah, you to yeah. move him from the 616 yeah. as fast as he arrived. He just just, <laughs> just out of curiosity, how long, how, is there a set run on Hellcat? How many issues is that going to go? Uh, it's five. So it's just a mini series. Okay. But uh, yeah, so we're three in and it'll go two more. Actually, and, it's uh, five, so. Yeah. And uh, Defiant, is there a, a, a cap on that? Defiant's ongoing. Like, we're, it's, okay. like when I came on, it was, uh, man, I, I mean, Heather Antos and the IDW team have put together like a, a two-year-plus plan for the books because yeah. the main Star Trek book, which is written by Jackson and, and Colin, Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly, mm -hmm. uh, and drawn by Ramon Rosanis, uh, they were nominated for an Eisner for that book for Best New Series, which is great. Mm -hmm. um, and then my book is the first to spin out of that story, but it's still part of the shared universe. So I just turned in my outline for that. Um, that'll take me through, gosh, I think like issue 16 or so. Like, so okay. I might, I, I, wow. I'll be on it. I might be on it as long as I was on Iron Man if we're, if we're lucky. So, so far, so good. Yeah. Three, of that, three issues of that are out now. So it, it's, it's nice to, I keep telling people that uh, you know Elvira in Mon Monsterland number five, number one. If this was the seventies, would simply be Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, number thirty-one or thirty-two. But we, yeah. you know, we keep doing. I mean, and look, if it boosts the sales every if every sixth issue, sell you know outsells the previous three because it's a number yeah. one. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm okay with waving a flag saying New York, New York, New York. You know, yeah. every six months, but it's kind it's of funny. 
Star you know, Trek would be a funny one to try to do too, because I think even just they did a, a really wonderful uh, issue that it is also nominated for an Eisner, uh, Star Trek 400, and that marks 400 issues within IDW, I believe. Right. But if you include all the gold key and DC stuff, oh, Marvel God. stuff it's like a thousand something. It's it's a crazy number. It's crazy. Um, yeah. So much content. Yeah. Well, if you, yeah. I, 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 as an just as an aside, it's something that I noticed or mentioned a, a, a few months ago. I realized that Star Trek and Star Wars used to be stories, and now they're environments. Yeah. Yeah, in which, and that's great. In which story? I mean, yeah. I think anyone from my generation watching Star Trek going growing up went, "Wow, there's like a million stories you could tell about this universe that don't even include Captain Kirk and the Enterprise." And that has turned out to be true. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that so has far, turned out yeah. to be extremely true. I wonder, yeah. you know, bring 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 back Zombie Gene Roddenberry and sit him down in front of Power Plus and just like so. There are eight Star Trek shows. Uh, none of them star Cap. Captain Kirk is a very minor character in one of them. Uh, that's very yes. good. Yes. You know, like I think that would blow his mind. I think so. Yeah, I, I think so. It's it's a weird. I mean, I I it must be even strange for like George Lucas, although like, I yeah. feel like he doesn't, at a certain point, he seems, he seems to be just at peace in a good way. Well, you know, I, like, will, which I, nice. I will say that one of the, one of the first lessons I learned, especially as like a writer, it, it's a great assault on your preciousness, for want of a better word, when you're successful. What I learned from Kevin Eastman is that success is not being able to write all of the shit that you created. Uh, yeah, that's that's a, a good definition of success is when you simply do not have the, like I, you know, he was writing a comic book. He couldn't write 150 episodes of a children's cartoon. <laughs> you know, he right. had other, like there's a point at which success means, no, actually I have to let this go and see how other people play with the yeah. toys that I made. Well, well it, 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 yeah, it, it, and play with the toys is a really interesting thing. I mean, there's just such a draw with these properties. And um, what I love seeing is there's such a sense of like wish fulfillment, you know? Uh, um, I mean, I remember the last time we talked to you, Chris, you were um, you were going back through Angel, you were watching Angel, and you didn't tell us. You didn't tell us why you were watching Angel, but it was yes. clear, you're, clear you're a huge Angel fan. Yeah. What, what it sounded like is, oh, it's the pandemic, so we're you know my wife and I are going back through Angel. We're enjoying it, um, but really you were prepping to write the Angel comic book, um, which made total sense in hindsight. But it's um we had the same conversation with Rodney Barnes. You know, who's mm -hmm. Rodney is literally in the middle of of conceiving Winning Time, and and and, and you know and, and he's writing his own comic book series. But he's like, oh yeah, I'm doing uh, I'm doing Blackula. I'm doing the Star Wars book. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I'm doing this branded thing for, and and literally it's just. I grew up with these, I grew up with all of these little characters with these fandoms. Now, now, you know, now that I have a little cachet and I'm obviously a damn good writer, they're letting me, Oh, of course I'm going to tell a star Wars story. Of course I can't say no to this. Of course right. I can't say no to that. And, and, and this idea that it's like, we grew up watching these things. We fell in love with the star Trek universe, the star Wars universe, whatever it is. And now we're being invited in to just play with the toys. And that's, yeah, that's incredible, and it's hard to say no to, no matter what else you have going on. Right? Yeah, it really is. It's tough. I mean, I think it, it's uh, Star Trek is one that I, I got to do Star Wars last last year. I did an Obi Wan book, and that was really special. Um, and then to to follow it up and get to play in this universe has been has been great. You know, sometimes there is that fatigue that comes with the inundation of all of these different franchises and IPs and things like this. And 
you know, sometimes I get curmudgeonly and I'm like, it used to just be, you know, three video cassettes and that's it, you know, like <laughs> that's all you got, you know, uh, and we could examine it like a vortex for, you know, a thousand years, but, um, it is cool to see, uh, it expand and grow in such a dynamic way. I mean, I, when I was on the star Wars panel for the new comics coming out last year at celebration, which was in Anaheim, they were talking about high Republic and most of the people in there, it was, a, it was the biggest panel I've ever been on for anything. Um, and people were going crazy mm -hmm. for every announcement that was coming out of high Republic. And like, I thought I knew star Wars and like the, 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 as deep as it goes now, like most people were in costume from characters that I had not heard of. Like it was, it was incredible. Um, and they were so enthusiastic and so happy. It was really cool to see. Obviously there's a, another side to it that kind of manifests online that can be kind of gross, but like sure. in person, most of the time, the people that are showing up are yeah. there because they love it. And that has remained true from when we were kids all the way to now. And I, I think it's, it's neat to see it expand like that. Yeah, and I remember the, the first version I encountered of that was meeting, and this is an old fogey statement, but, you know, meeting a young woman whose favorite James Bond was Roger Moore, which in my generation, I was like, that, how is that even possible? Yeah. And now, like, there are people who, like, I don't know who Pierce Brosnan is. Yeah, no, it's James, only Daniel James, Craig. James Bond has been Daniel Craig for t 16 years now, yeah. <laughs> you know, so... You know, and it was wild for me when people would tell me their first Star Trek was Deep Space Nine. Yeah. You know, but it's like, but that's cool and valid and wonderful. And same thing, High Republic is such a its own little yeah. corner of the universe, but it's an enormous storytelling space mm -hmm. that you can work in. My buddy Kevin uh, has done a lot of writing in that yeah, space. He was on that panel. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, he's great. Every guy. time Kevin said a name of a character, people would erupt like they were at like a rock concert. It was yeah, no, and that's and that's and, you know, and Kevin's a guy who's you know, he's an English guy and he's written a lot of Doctor Who, which for mm -hmm. you know, which is his yeah. Star Trek. I mean, he I'm sure Star Trek was also his Star Trek and Star Wars was also his Star Wars, but Doctor sure. Who was really yeah. his Star Trek growing up. And uh, yeah, no, it's uh, you know, right now I just did a rewatch of all of the the first five Planet of the Apes movies for a project I'm working on, and it's a I'm a very small part of a very sprawling project, but just getting to write dialogue for Colonel Taylor, you know, is friggin' wild. You know, writing the most Heston dialogue I can possibly imagine. Yeah, uh, it's a weird muscle to flex. You gotta like yeah. uh, get in there and do it. Yeah, and doing that for Star Trek has been really interesting because I actually just did. We just did a. A lettering pass on one of the issues that's this big crossover event we're doing this summer and it's kind of the first star trek crossover event in comics where the stories will interplay but all the casts get mashed together and they're already from all of the different series and shows and it takes place a few years after deep space nine so you've got everybody from spock and scotty to you know brand new characters that uh that we've created and I think I, I looked at it, and I think in 22 pages of an issue, I think I, I think I was writing dialogue for like 19 separate characters. And it was like, wow. it's a lot. I mean, it, but you, you're trying to just get it just right. And so, you know, thankfully we've been immersed in that stuff that you can kind of channel. Well, yeah, that, that, make it sound that, like. that's the great thing about it is, you know, sitting down and writing Planet of the Apes or whatever, you go like, all those years I didn't realize that was homework. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, that was funny. That was research. Like I don't need to 
dig real deep to understand yeah, this, this character because I've literally seen the movie 300 times. Right. Uh, you know, yes. and that's uh, the one of the earliest TV jobs I got um, was doing a first draft of a Marvel Secret Wars episode of Spider-Man. Nice. Uh, that they did not shoot. I think it was to the, the one that they aired was super streamlined, but I got paid for it. Like they, they gave me an outline that literally would have been three hours long. And it was for a 22. I was like, the outline is 22 pages long. The episode is going to be 22 minutes. Yeah. That's really, uh, if every scene yeah. is just a slug line. It's already too. Long. <laughs> yeah. That's dense. That's amazing. But it yeah. was one of those things where when I was writing it, I was like, Thank God I know, like there are 10 X-Men. Thank God I know their names, their foreign accents, and what their powers are, and how they, the amount of time it would take researching this 22-page script just to know who all of these people are. Magneto was in it, you know, like, right. it was a big cast that had I come to it ice cold, I would have spent weeks understanding who those people were to have one to have Rogue say one line in the script. Right. I would have know how the hell does Rogue oh she's southern. Okay, that's a start. You know, so uh it it is fascinating how all that stuff uh builds up over time. Yeah. But let us let us pivot to our main topic. Uh as fascinating as all of that is. Uh what's line? Let me start by asking you a question. Um what's your uh if you can give a, a, a quick and dirty TLDR version of what is the strike about for you, for you personally? Well, I mean, I will, I'll start by uh, cribbing something from Chris Kaiser, who's on our negotiating committee for the WGA, but like the idea that we don't strike for ourselves, we strike for each other. Mm -hmm. I think that that's, First and foremost, what's important um, to keep in mind, uh, I'm doing okay in TV and film, and I've you know I've been very fortunate with certain projects and this and that, and um, whether it be you know quotes or or how much I'm paid for a certain amount of work, um, but that has been chipped away at for years now, and I will say that even in my experience in the last 10, 12 years, the, gosh, the agency, the uh, parameters I was given as a showrunner, um, as a writer, when it came to TV, when it came to making Halt and Catch Fire, um, was phenomenal compared to the extreme limitations and constrictions placed on writers today, creatively, mm -hmm. financially, logistically, where it feels like when I made Halt and Catch Fire, it feels like the golden years of making ER and making ER was nothing compared to what it was like making Halt and Catch Fire, which was a, a 10 episode cable series, right? For AMC right. and <laughs> gone to the days of, of that uh type of protection and again i guess i'll just say the word like agency like what you're given in terms of tools not just uh financial compensation but uh, the limitations are really really extreme and the fight does feel existential in a way where it feels like the writer 
the artist is being squeezed first as the model changes. Mm -hmm. The model is also changing in a way that is eventually, it seems like it's going to remain the same. It's just going to be, it's, it's literally the content itself is being carried over the same, you know, cable line that's been laid in, in, in the infrastructure throughout the country. It's just the data packaging is literally different in terms of how it's delivered. But the difference in terms of how the writer is supported and compensated is night and day. And it is un untenable. It, it, it there feels like a real creative insolvency that is that is literally we're at the threshold of. Um, mm -hmm. Whether it be the length of time that you're given to write a project, the amount you're paid over that length of time, the amount of time you're held afterwards exclusively to that project where you can't work on anything else until decisions are made about that project, the decoupling of the decision-making process from the actual creation and writing of the project itself. Um, the goalposts keep getting moved by the studios and the networks in a way where the career is no longer a, a career almost. And I think that's what's, that's what's being fought for. And I think that's what I feel I'm fighting for is, um, to kind of get rid of and, and reopen up the ability of the writer to survive. And when I say survive, I mean professionally and as part of the ecosystem and as a, as a deserving member of the shared ecosystem that the writer helps create. Um, all of that is a, you know, wordy way of saying that they've really squeezed the shit out of what we do for a living. Um, and they're choking it out. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I feel it at my level. And so I certainly know that a staff writer or a writer's assistant or support staff person who, because production has been decoupled from rooms for years now, has to take another job after 12 weeks. Um, and that could be anywhere and it's whatever they can get. Um, not even necessarily industry related. They don't get production experience and production experience isn't just, wow, movie making. It's literally being in the thick of it and seeing how it's made and being a part of the process from start to finish so that you can matriculate and grow as well as help shepherd the project forward as it matriculates and grows. Yeah. Um, so all of those things. And then, and then obviously there are the brass tax numbers, which are just unconscionable at a certain point. I mean, the 23% decline in in earnings for writers over the last, you know, whatever it is, decade or so, um, you know, it's, it's really, really tough. Um, and it's even tougher for people who are coming into, who have come into the industry after me. It's tougher for working writers who have previously been able to support their families, uh, and livelihoods who came into the business before me. Um, and look, it's, it's, it's tough on it's tough on me and, and my family too and I, I i have had my own show i've got a there's a fucking wikipedia page about it and there's one about me and you know like it right but it doesn't it it's um this kind of uh, removal of the the main part of the process i would you know obviously i would say that the the genesis of the process is writing and i wouldn't say, when I say the main part of the process i mean like when you're writing it's you guys know this is it scripts and for comic books it's the same thing it's just really it's a blueprint for something else and to make that its own kind of thing that needs to be self-sustaining with very little fuel very little 
finances, very little logistic support, and have that be the thing that justifies the massive endeavor, which is the actual creation of TV and film. Right. Um, and put all of that on on the on the back of the writer and burden the writer with that. And then also cut the writer's knees out from underneath them as they're trying to do it. And then look at that and say, prove positive. Well, well, let's see, it didn't work. It didn't work on paper, so we're not going to make the show or we're going to we're going to cancel the show. We're not going to air the show after we've shot it. It's the writer's fault. And and fuck that. You know what I mean? Like, I, I'm <laughs> like at a certain point, I, I'm I'm really sick of hearing that. Um, I'm really sick of proving shitty business models as a writer. I'm going from a 25 week room where we get 15 weeks before we shoot and we have a 10 episode order and I'm sending writers to set to produce the episodes, which not only gives them experience and protects the material and helps the collaborative process with the actors and the directors and the set dressers and everybody else on set and takes some of the burden off me so that I can see my kids once in a while. Yeah. Uh, and the work can be spread around going from that to 10 weeks, no guaranteed production. Uh, everybody rolls off. No one's going to be on that set. When are we going to ever get right. the green light? We don't know when it's coming. Write this, rewrite this, get the whole series done, break the whole thing, do it with four people, do it over Zoom. Um, right. And and live with it, you know? Yeah. And, and, and then, by the way, you know, we even if we do shoot it, we might just can. Yeah. You know, yeah. It, it's so dispiriting and you have to be the person that cheerleads it and gets it going and carries it forward and, and pushes as hard as you can and get it done and you do it and you prove the shitty business model and you go, here are six episodes. Cause now the order shrunk. They're really great. And then you, and then you hang out and you wait, yeah. you know, and, yeah. and, it, and I get it. They've got to, they've got to look at the facts and figures and balance the sheets and, do all the other shit that they apparently do. And, and then you, you sit there and go, okay, but it, 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 it's, it's, it's just extremely, I learned a while ago, I think when we started halt that my inspiration levels and my ability to do creative things is finite, but it's a well, mm -hmm. and I think it was already getting pretty low before we went on strike. And I think a large part of it was due to obviously the, the nature of the business is tough, but the way that the business has been, um headed in the last few years and the difference between what it was like to go and and do halt and catch fire and shoot a pilot and cast it and look at it on screen and and really make a real case for something you know as opposed to now where it's it's an fdx document that someone's reading on an ipad while they're doing six other fucking things you know what i mean like mm -hmm. Obviously, the counter argument to that would be like a great script can get anything done. And it's like, yeah, that's true. But when there are so many things um, set against it from the start before the document is even created. Right. It's like you don't get any more documents. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the, yeah, the, the, I mean, the, the, the blueprint, you know, uh, uh, metaphor is, is really apt. I mean, what you're talking about is we're building a skyscraper, you know, that, that, that yeah. that's what a season of television is. Uh, but you're going to hire the architect and say, 
hey, I know it usually takes you uh, 12 weeks to design one of these things. Do it in six. And I know we normally pay you, uh, you know, X amount of dollars. We're going to pay you about half that this time. And I know um, usually we need all these engineers uh, uh, and and safety supervisors and stuff uh, there while uh, while these, these workers are building it. But you know what? We don't really need those guys. How about we usually have six or seven or eight. How about we do one or two? Um, mm -hmm. And then they build this skyscraper and expect people to live in it and for it to be okay <laughs> and for it to be wonderful. Oh. And that's what we're dealing with. Um, uh, no, and, and the, and thing, the thing about writers being on sets is also so vital. One of the things I learned, I was a low budget uh, feature film editor for years and years and years. And I discovered one of the keys to bad acting. I mean, there are a lot of keys to bad acting. But honestly, the worst acting in the world is because the actor has no idea what the line means or why it's in the script. Writers as a whole are an ironic bunch. Actors as a whole are an earnest bunch. And if you write something sarcastic, you will absolutely see a third-rate actor read it with great earnestness as though there is no subtext to it and there is no irony and there is no anything. And if no one is there to say, no, you're, uh, that's actually sarcasm. <laughs> don't, don't, uh, you don't actually mean that. Let me, let me, let me stop you right there. And not having, again, you know, to use Ryland's metaphor, you're building the building and you, you've, uh, you, you won't let the architect or the design engineers on the, on the, on the construction site. So everybody's staring at a pipe going, where was this thing? Where did this lead? Where was yeah. this? Now, like, just take that there's pipe no, out. We did, the building no doesn't need that pipe, yeah. you know. There's no continuity in the process. And, yeah. and I think that, like, it, we, all, we all love succession. And I, this is maybe apocryphal, but what I heard is that there are usually no less than three writers on set yeah. of succession. Yeah. And I well, think that that makes a big difference. And I'm not saying that the writer has all the answers. The best, no. the best time I have on set is even as the showrunner is when I'm sitting there and I don't have anything to do because it's mm -hmm. all working correctly. And I trust the actors and I've talked to them and the, I trust the director and I know this and I'm there yep. if needed. But if I'm needed and I'm not there, that's a huge problem. And if it's just me over the course of three months, in Vancouver or Winnipeg or uh, Puerto Rico or you know wherever things are being shot now, um, or Budapest, you know, like the what I'm going to be so cut off and and drowning in it at a certain point and cut off from the the vitality that makes me a writer, which is my life, my personal life, my family, my kids you know, my friends, my support systems, all of those things that when I am there and I am needed, what use am I going to be? Yeah. You know, yeah. Well, and all of the, you know, the thing about having more than one voice is all of the solutions you come up with will be your solutions. Yeah. And no yes. matter and how hard, not, no matter yeah, how hard you try, all the solutions are going to come from the I don't ascribe to that. It was, it was always such a relief. I think that's a great point because when we, we had, when you have a group of trusted writers that you can send to set, uh, you know, you'd be like, I don't know, you know, Lisa Albert who wrote on halt, like, what do you think mm -hmm. you bring your yeah. own experience to this, you know? And the same was true with my partner. It was just like, I'm, I might be wrong about this. It's, and obviously that's true with the director. That's on true. That's true with the onset producer who might be a non-writing, um, EP, you know, one that's worth their salt. 
Yeah. Um, even the actors, you know, at a certain point, you know, it's oh, like that's a really good impulse, but you can have those conversations. Yeah. Uh, but when a, when a writer is in a, in a mini room, which, you know, there are some interesting novel creative things about a mini room and that you're kind of, it can be anything. But I also think that a con is that it can be anything and that there are no hard and fast decisions that need to be made. And that you can, that the, the network and the studio, uh, I think can sense that even though they don't want to admit it is that they it's it just ends up being malleable even at the end and then the the writers leave there's no chance for those writers to come back and see who's playing that character mm-hmm. and bring their perspective into how that that character could be rewritten yeah. to fit that actor better or bring the actor into the process or be part of that process and I think it's unfair for it to just be one person and also extremely limited for it to be one person for yeah. the exact reasons you laid out. No, and, well, and yeah, 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 I mean, yeah. Okay. I was going to say, you talk about succession. I mean, succession starts one way, right? The writers were like, we're going to do this. And then they get all those incredible actors on set and they're like, oh, wow, look what Jeremy's doing. Oh, wow. You know, look what mm-hmm. Kieran's doing. Wow. We, we really need to run with that. You know, that thing we were going to do in episode four, we need to change that now because look, look at what he's given us, you know? Um, and, 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 and that, and that push and pull that, that reacting into the moment to where the drama is taking you is it's like, you're saying you're, you're, you're missing that rewrite. I mean, that, that's a whole nother revision of oh. the drama that you're missing. And then, and then again, this idea that I just want to hit it right on the head where it's like, the, the writer, the showrunner more specifically, is the only person that sees the entire picture. You have a really well-meaning director and you have some really well-meaning uh, actors and they're working on this great piece of the puzzle, right? And they get it really pretty uh, and, and they can create the most beautiful individual piece ever, but if it doesn't fit into the bigger picture, if it doesn't fit into that bigger puzzle, then there is a huge problem. And what the writer can do is, is step in and say, Hey, I see what you're doing there. That is a really good impulse, but why don't we make this one minor change so that piece fits into the bigger puzzle, right? And so if we are missing these steps in in the creative process, I mean, you're talking about two or three more revisions, two or three more refinements, two or three steps in the process that make the product better. And and when you have that, you end up with succession, you end up with halt and catch fire. If you start to peel those 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 back, yeah. And we're only going over this thing, we're going over this thing half as many times as we normally would, then you end up with junk. You end up with a lot of the stuff that that, that we that we're seeing on TV. Well, yeah, you're talking about like you're, you got then you got a handful of folks who are trying to orienteer themselves out of a forest. You know, and it's yeah. just like it's yeah. I think yeah. that and and it's not that the writer is the only person that holds the compass at all times. I think it's it's it, my obviously my job is I am there to add to advocate for the the whole work. Right? Yeah. I'm there to do that. I'm there to advocate for and protect the whole work. That's really it. Even if that means somebody, an actor says, I want it. What about, I want to do it this way. You say, and you, that great idea. And you do it. You know what I mean? Like, because yeah. the, the work will tell you, you know what I mean? And, and, and yeah. anybody who's tuned into what you're doing. And that's what, that's what, do that's that. one of the things that's lost, I think, with this idea of having everything done before the thing even airs. Yes. I just um, did a show. I just did a show that's, Listen, and I, 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 it's with AMC, and I, I, I love working with a lot of the people over there, and I've worked with them forever. And and it, but it is six episodes. Um, of then I think the scripts are stellar, but they're scripts, right? right? And they're and they're they're written, without knowing, and it's a complete story. And yeah. hopefully, when you know, 
we settle this out and 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 we go back to work and and hopefully this show goes because that's not guaranteed um you know we'll be able to cast it and have the time to pivot me and the creator and right. we work the scripts as needed based on what appears on the screen because it's not going to be the same as what right. is in our heads our collective heads or my head or his head and he wrote the novel that it's based on it and so it's all those things and and uh but it will be entirely on us and the people that the writers that were invested in that story for mm -hmm. those 10 weeks or 12 weeks you know because we did get to extend one for an additional two like um they're they're working somewhere else like they can't yeah. i can't call them and be like hey in your episode that you did episode four you've got to see what this actor is doing in the previous episodes and i think it's going to inform what we're doing and, and i i just can't i just i'm not i can't have that conversation with that writer yeah. because because of the the strictures imposed yeah. on the system well look at look at I, I, two examples from the most one of the most popular pop culture characters ever to come out of television spock mm -hmm. spock was captain kirk's second fiddle the part was not supposed to be the big big co-star part but the fans went nuts for him and they were like oh this is not the captain kirk and ensemble show this is the captain kirk and mr spock and sometimes dr mccoy show and we need to foreground this guy and make special. There were not plans to make special Spock episodes when they sat down to make the first season of Star Trek. They looked at the dailies and got the letters from all of the women who thought this skinny Jewish dude was a heartthrob and went, more Spock. Okay. Well, I mean, with Man from Uncle, it took two episodes for them to go, you know, the super hang handsome English cat playing this very minor russian spy character he's got to move up to co-star because holy shit, does everybody love that guy you know it was going to be robert vaughn show completely he was a movie star slumming on television mccallum yeah. was literally nobody you know a british character actor and uh and the other thing i want to point out about spock and i think this we I, I I sometimes get mad at Andrew Saris, and it's not entirely his fault that people completely misunderstood what he was trying to say about the outdoor theory. But you know, Roddenberry is considered one of the great world builders of all time. Everything we know about Vulcans is Theodore Sturgeon, DC Fontana, and Leonard Nimoy. Like ninety nine percent of the culture comes from a couple of episodes stuff. Nimoy on set said, hey, instead of hitting him over the head with a gun butt, how about I do this weird ass thing where I grab his shoulder and he passes out, you know, and Shatner is such a great overplayer when they, you know, when they de demonstrated it to, for the director, the director was concerned Nimoy had hurt him some, you know, in some fascinating, uh, you know, nerve, you know, he said, no, it's going to be like this, show him, Bill, and he did it and Bill went, oh, and fell over backwards and he went, holy shit. You know, what the hell did I just see? You know, so yeah, like, I think none, that, of that is, none of that is Gene Roddenberry and none of that was part of plan. Yeah. It, it, Jesse Pinkman was supposed to die at the at the end of the first season of Breaking Bad. Right. Uh, Logan Roy, they considered killing him off uh, uh, in the first season of Succession until they saw the, you know, incredible powerhouse job the actor was doing. Right. I mean, and, and you, 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 you need these things. You need these, these fail safes built in these, they're these steps the, in the process. They're part of the tools, right? They're part of the yeah. toolkit. And I think that the toolkit has been reduced to, <laughs> it's like, it's like, uh, you know, 
writers have it, our toolkit at this point it feels like it feels like we're being being handed like the the four free crayons they give you they give your kid at the <laughs> restaurant right and then they look at the placemat that you've drawn all over and they go i don't know if i see it and you're mm -hmm. like well fuck, i only have four crayons and like you know like and i got queso on it like i think that <laughs> the like with halt i i think the old, i think the main reason that halt and catch fire got on the air was the pilot that we shot mm -hmm. it was bringing in juan campanella it was melissa bernstein and mark johnson producing it it was the team we assembled it was the cast we were able to have it was the cast and directors that got those actors it's and those people were incredible collaborators in the process and it was it was the chance to build that you know uh mini rooms i i've i don't know if i've been in one successful mini room I, I, there have been them and mm -hmm. paper girls was kind of a pseudo mini room in that we, it was a straight to series commitment based on the pitch that was sold. And then we came in as the showrunners and they said, well, actually, you know, we're going to, we're going to make our real full decision after the first 10 weeks. Okay. So then there's this sprint where you've also hired writers and you've made promises to people. And it's like, actually, they're going to come in and decide after the pitch out. So we're gonna have to sing for our supper and do it really quickly over the next 10 weeks. And and the stress of that can affect the creativity and-, and oh, Absolutely. Um, it's just not, you know, yeah. maybe it's not like <laughs> saying it, but it's like, it's, it's just not fair. It's not fair to, it's not fair to the writers. Yeah. It's also not fair to the work. Yeah. Because you're not giving the, you're not giving the work a fair shake, yeah. right? It's it's like, you, you kind of get penalized for certain requests where it's like, well, I really want it to be like this. So it's like, well, Okay, we can maybe accommodate that, but then the show's going to have to be fifteen percent worse. You know, and it's like, well, that doesn't seem like a good business model for you. Like, yeah, I, I, yeah, and 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 you keep you, you know you keep dipping your toe in these waters. The 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 psychological uh, how, how do I frame this? You know, the just the psychological atmosphere that we're we're dealing with. I mean, it's um here's the thing. I, I mean, I, I've been writing professionally in Hollywood for you know whatever fifteen years now. And, um, and, and it is, it is backbreaking. It is soul crushing. I, I mean, there've been great highs, you know, yeah. uh, 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 but, but man, it is difficult. And it is this, it is this job. I've said it before, where if, if I had, if I had worked this hard and put this much into anything else, I would be a billionaire right now. Right. Um, uh, th th you know, th there is such, there's so much hemorrhaging of effort and and uh and hemorrhaging of effort is a good way yeah and, and, and time and and good material and 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 people taking uh a, a great thing and tossing it aside because they don't like one percent of it and and there's you know there, th this model is broken in a way and it has been for for years um uh, you know, meanwhile, there, there's, there's a lot of crap getting made, you know, stuff that is for, for weird reasons is just getting pushed on through. Um, that is hard to deal with. I think it is, it is getting harder and harder and harder because it's, um, you know, again, it's like this, this, just, uh, yeah. the walls are closing in on us to a certain degree. And so it was already hard to do the job, but now we're having to do it in this tiny little box with spikes on the wall and it's caving in well, on it's us. Like fucking, yeah, it's like the Death Star trash compactor, right? Yeah, there, there you go. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, 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 and how do you make art? How do you tell great stories? Yeah. And, 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 yeah. The, the disillusionment is very strong. And like that always comes with the business. I mean, you're right to point that out. I mean, you know, even when things are seem to be going great, I mean, even, you know, making Hulk catch fire, which, you know, as we get away from it, 
further and further, Chris and I realized how fortunate we were with that show. But when you're in the weeds of it, you, you have some really miserable days. Oh, you know sure. what I mean? And it, and it, it's, it's not making blood plasma. It's not saving anybody's lives. I don't think anybody else is pretending to say that it is, but, um, it's also when it, but when it's bad and, and, and also you're the person, meaning the writer that has to stand up and get everybody excited again, which almost feels like a nearly impossible task. And that falls to you because otherwise no one will care whatsoever. Um, yep. it's, it's very difficult to keep that going when you feel so hamstrung yep. at the same time. And that toolkit has been reduced and the, the, the paycheck has been reduced further and further as well. So you're starting to feel it in your, in your personal life, in your home life, you got to turn around and, and grandstand and go, this is going to be the best thing since sliced bread every day, every phone call, every zoom meeting, every general, every, every notes, you know, call or meeting, you've got a, every revision. I care about this now. It's better. It's even better. Look, um, and then, and then kind of feel the, the, the straight razor at your Achilles tendon again and again is like, well, I don't feel like getting up anymore. And then they go, well, sorry. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, guess he couldn't hack it. You know, I, I think that 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 to me is is where i mean my wife and i have had a lot of conversations about this we had one last night where she was like sometimes i wish you would just devote yourself to something else i mean obviously you've done so many you put so many years into this but i've also seen it firsthand take a lot from you even on the good days and it's true and i, I think that it is it is a career that is at once vocational which is what i think makes it dangerous as a viable professional career is because is a vocation almost implies, especially to your employers and the gatekeepers, something you would do for free, something you yeah. do on faith, right? Like a priest <laughs> and, yeah. and they know that, and that can be exploited and it has been. And, and I think to, to really ill effect when it comes to a lot of the stuff that's being made to the toll it takes on the people that are making it all the way down the system to the point where writers have said, we're not going to make anything anymore until we fix this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because otherwise it's, and I, that's why I think it is an existential battle because it really does lead to like, uh, I think the path we're headed down now, it, it really does lead to a, a kind of creative financial and spiritual insolvency in the working writer where you, you won't have them anymore. Yeah. And that's when the, of course, the studios and networks turn to the, turn to AI and yeah. go, great, we'll just pull a lever. And that's what that's what studios and networks have always thought you could do, you know, yeah. or hoped that you could do. And I think it really is pinned on a hope, you know. I yeah. think the the proof will be in the pudding when they try yeah. to pull that lever, and then you and know, it doesn't work. There's a that, and again this, you know, but like and somebody, you know, and and the idea that a writer would be someone who is so broken, but not broken enough that one of their hands works to pull that lever, and yeah. then they can kind of rewrite that yeah. vomit that comes out. Yeah, and that in, and then that it's going to be great. It's, I, I just don't. Yeah, the, the yeah, the, it's there's it, no it, long term thinking there at play. Yeah, yeah, no, and and the thing you know, I always think of the the Simpsons is a is is such an amazing example. It's the most successful show probably in the history of television, and when it started, it was so small ball that James L. Brooks was able to negotiate that it didn't get any network notes. <laughs> that no one has ever done that math and yeah. gone, hey, the most successful show in the history of television that has spawned every toy known to man 
feature film, spinoff, everything, 30 fucking seasons, is the one that gets no network notes. Yeah. How might we repeat the success of The Simpsons? <laughs> like, no one ever goes, I know, let's not give network notes for a season and see how that goes. Well, you know, man, you know, like, no, no one ever takes that obvious leap, you know. I to, think that it, yeah, and I think that, I mean, like, listen, I'm not going to be foolhardy enough to, to sit here and say, like, all my stuff would be better without notes because I think that when you get, there have been a lot of, there have been a lot of executive, well, I'll rephrase that. I don't know if there've been a lot, but there've been executive collaborators that I've worked with that really can have their finger on the pulse in a good way. Right. Where there's, they're outside the, the process where they can kind of wet their finger and put it in the air and go, this doesn't feel, and they might not have the exact solution, but you know, there's no, there's no, guile to it you know yeah and 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 a lot of times you know yeah i can kick and scream and stuff but they, they might be right and there might be a way to find something where it it, it improves you know and well, yeah right also, the converse of that is i've been in in sessions of that where it goes on ad nauseum or yeah. you yeah. get the you get the notes document that's in four different font sizes and different because it's just copied and pasted from people's different emails that they've kind of written yeah. stream of conscious and that's worthless shit but yeah. like it's the like the the singular notes or like the the, the yeah. ones that are paying attention that are still in the mix with you yeah. are just as much part of the equation as the guy painting the no, flag, you know Ryland, what i mean like that's 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 helpful yeah um, but it can certainly, certainly be unhelpful and it can yeah. certainly be used as a cudgel to slow the process stop the process and make it really easy to say no because if 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 they say no they keep their job yeah yeah every day go home and do the same thing the yeah. next day because you keep your job that way it's yeah. a lot harder to say yes and i think that where i said that there's a lack of of long-term thinking in that it's it's that it's that they're 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 fragmenting and compressing the process to such a place where, hell, if I was a studio executive, I'd, it'd be easy for me to say no to some of this stuff that's coming out because they've they've they're pushing it through a, a sieve, right? And and there's no real cultivation, right? Yeah. It's just weed killer being sprayed, <laughs> and then they go, mm -hmm. oh, this lawn looks like shit. Let's get rid of it, you know. And I I think that and then and then there are those like really kind of horrific stories where they're the rare cases where they shoot a whole thing. You know, and somebody devotes their two years of their life to it. And I talked about this with, you know, some of my colleagues where it's like, and I know you guys have been there too, where you stand there on the last day of the last sound mix and you go, well, there was that awful day and there was this time and I didn't see this thing happen. I didn't see my kid hit this home run and, and I got really sick when everybody else got the flu on set. And, uh, you know, we had that awful fight, but look what we made and isn't mm -hmm. it great that we get to now share it with the world and now they've taken that off the table yeah. you know right where they can go you know what actually this never happened yeah. that's such a profound level of psychological gaslighting that it's going to affect the creative process and the creative individual moving forward into whatever they do yeah. you know what I mean? where you're creating you're, you're just fostering a system of mistrust and look everybody any studio or network that creates something or pays for something to be made they don't create it pays for something to be created they absolutely have the right to do with do it that whatever they want they could take all the negatives and put them in the fire no one 
you know, I think that creatives might be dissuaded from working with an organization like that again. Right. But when yeah. they're the only game in town because they've all over leveraged themselves and acquired each other and eaten each other like hungry, hungry hippos. Yeah. So we end up with two tech companies and four studios, a couple of which should probably be turned into museums at a certain point where it's like, this is where they used to make movies. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, get rid of all the overhead. Well, you know, have you noticed, have you yeah. noticed in all of the hundred years of Warner Brothers celebrations, I watched some of those montages and I'm like, you didn't make half of these movies. These are these are library pieces you bought from MGM yeah. when they closed their like Warner yeah. Brothers celebrating that they made the Wizard of Oz. It's like, yeah, that's you a weird very story. much did oh, not right. make the Wizard of Oz, guys. Like yeah. you, you had literally nothing to do with the creation of the Wizard of Oz, except you bought the license on it 20, 30 years ago when Ted Turner bought up. Hey, the MGM library, the, 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 the Lakers, they still hang those, uh, those Minnesota banners, you know, uh, it's, it's, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But yep. that's a continuity I can at least respect. It's just funny <laughs> watching the, watching the montage of Warner brothers classics and going, not a Warner brothers picture, yeah, not a no, Warner brothers yeah. picture that was made at Fox that was made at Paramount, you know, uh it's it's kind of, it's kind of funny <laughs> stuff, but yeah, it's, you know, Ryland has said before that, uh, the interesting thing about notes sometimes when they come from a good place is a lot of times the executive doesn't know why they don't like it or, and their solution for it is bad. Yeah. We, 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 call, we call it, we call it the note behind the note. You know? Yeah. Like, but, yeah, yeah. But the note behind the note is actually worth listening to like why they didn't yeah. like this. They don't know why they didn't like it. And their solution for <laughs> it is terrible. But they're yeah. not wrong that it needs to be fixed. And yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I think a good executive knows that they don't. That knows that they don't know, and they they go, "That's not my yeah. job. That's your job." Those are the best. You know, yeah, 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 yeah. And your take on you know executiving and producing, um, you know the the I I love and value the executive, the the producer who who comes in and says, "Okay, how do I how do I help you guys make this?" Two percent better, five percent better, right? Let's let let's move this an inch in the right direction. Oh, you know, there there is an issue here in the middle. Let's let's figure out just how to smooth this uh, smooth this out. And it, it can be really valuable, right? I mean, particularly like you you know, you're making a TV show. You're in a bunker for months, right? And you can't mm -hmm. see your way out of it. I mean, you you are well intentioned. You know the characters backward and forward, but you are in love with you've made all these babies you love all of them sometimes you got to kill some babies and what a good executive can do is come in and be like guys I, I know you love this and it's a great scene but 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 man it's bumping we got to get rid yeah. of this scene right and and, and and you'll cry a little bit you may even fight with them at first but you go home you sleep you sleep you wake up the next morning and you're like shit he was right um but but man those executives man those producers are few and far between these days mm -hmm. seemingly and and really what i see is a lot of people who um are not secure and in in their position and their abilities who are trying to prove to their bosses that they are smarter than they are um and and you know it, it, it was never so apparent i mean we just took, we just took this tv series out um you know and we we you know we we sold it to a studio we're uh we're we're paused because of the strike right in the middle of all the network conversations which is a little bit devastating um, but man, you know, you go into these rooms and you're pitching to studios and, you know, there, there are four or five people from the studio in the room and you have the seniors, you have the juniors and the pitch ends and, um, 
and then it's time for them to talk. And you can just see it. You can just see the people. You can just see those junior executives who are trying to move up the ladder, trying to prove how smart they are. They're trying to find the problem with everything. And and the whole time, they're not really listening to the pitch. They're not being entertained by what you're giving. They're looking for a string to pull because they yeah. want to run to their boss and be like, oh, what about this? This is wrong. This is a problem. Let, let me nail you right. on it. Let, let me grandstand and embarrass you in front of everybody. There are the people that are trying to do this. And and, and it's it's not worth a fucking damn. You know, it, 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 is, yeah. it is not, it, 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 it does, it does not help the process. It does not really what it's doing is that it's, it, it's keeping you, it's keeping this studio from perhaps finding a great project. Right. I think um, it's, yeah. And I think that, but there's, there's safety. And I, for me, I would almost say like that, that I, I, the one, the ones that I run into that kind of rub me the wrong way are the ones is where you have the collective of people that just, you do the whole thing and then nobody says a fucking word. Yeah. 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 And they go, let us marinate on this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. that's always. And then I you will go, say, okay. I've, I've been doing... Speaking of the Simpsons, I feel like a, I feel like a modern, a, a typical modern executive. Like speaking of the Simpsons, is like Homer disappearing into the hedge. Like that's yeah. what they want to be. And like the things that feel generated by AI are some of the notes where it feels like this could be notes on anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right, yeah. and and the the you know when I feel my angriest is when I refer to a lot of these people as email traffic air traffic controllers. Because yeah. all they do is shuttle emails around all day. Yeah, yeah. That's it. Yeah. But like it, it's it is infinitely easier, and I understand it logically, which is what makes it more frustrating for them to say no. Yeah. Right. right. Um, what what and, it, and they make it easier for themselves to say no. The more they the more they squeeze and constrict the process, and I yeah. think that's where the pro that's where that's the that's the breaking point we're at right now. Um, yeah. Is the disconnect over that? Yeah. My friend Javi has a great line uh, that he says, uh, uh, a pilot script or a pitch is essentially a small business loan application. Yeah. Like not, you're, you're, you're basically saying, way. loan me $20 million, yeah. uh, please, to do the, to make my widget. And I swear to God, you'll make some money back on it. Right. And, and it's like, and TV and film is like one of the worst investments you can make. It's like one of the yeah, most oh, absolutely. investments you could ever make. And the it's margins, like, the margins yeah. could not suck harder. Actually, one you know. one Campanella who directed the Halt and Catch Fire pilot once said to me, uh, "We're the income; they're the overhead." Yeah. And it's hard to argue with it. You know what no, I mean? I'm, because I'm, uh, you know, I think they're they're essential to the process because you and you and you have the oversight and you you need the bank and you need the you need the kind of good project management that we talked about mm -hmm. when it's when it's when it's working. And when they trust you and you trust them, it's actually fantastic. Yeah. You know, but um, the factory is the set and the screenplay and, and everything else. I mean, it's, um, you know, they, they, at the end of the day, they still are on the catwalk overseeing the people mm -hmm. building the car on the floor. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so. Um, I think they have more, they have more jealousy than Henry Ford did looking down onto the factory floor of guys assembling Model Ts. I think they're way more like, ah, oh, those guys are so cool down there on the factory floor nailing the, you know, staple gunning the uh, the upholstery into that thing. I wish I could be cool like them. It's I, like, see, like, I, I don't, I don't know, know if Ford was overly burdened by that. <laughs> the, the, and, I, and again, like I say, having worked with some really fantastic executives yeah. and continuing to work with some that I, I really love and even consider friends, like, there are a large swath where it doesn't even feel like the jealousy piece feels like it's falling away. Cause you can kind of spot that. And yeah. I, I feel like that yeah. almost kind of leads to a more 
conflict-laden relationship that gets resolved fairly quickly one way or another, at least as it has in my case. But I think that what I run up against a lot, you know, in terms of rank and file is like a kind of sycophantic, I'm fine standing next to the thing and not being a part of the thing yep. and not being literate about the thing at all. Mm -hmm. And having no literacy in regards to the industry I'm in at all. And that's fine. And yeah. I can go to this restaurant and I can do this and I can see these friends and yep. live this kind of modular lifestyle and I'm good. And yeah. that's the kind of person that feels like a barnacle on a ship. Yeah. You it's, know? The, it's the people with the absolute lack of curiosity about the, about the yeah, process. The lack of curiosity or enthusiasm where it's just like, are yeah. you even there? Like, it's yeah. like, yeah. is anything going on inside? Like that's, that's the automaton process that's already, I feel like, insidiously infiltrated Hollywood. And yeah. it has for a long time. But like, yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, like, it almost feels like kind of a, a throwback to have a producer and executive be like, you know what you need to do is you need to make this scene. Everybody on this scene should catch on fire. And that would be exciting. At least that person is like alive when they're talking. And at least to, that's, a, at least that's a note. What you're doing. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? But also, at least yeah. that's a that's a note. That is a yeah, solid. Exactly. That's like, that's I like can, somebody engaging with you as a human yeah, being. I can yeah. respond to that. That's better than the, you know. So I, I have some friends in visual effects, and they, you know, they had worked with the Wachowskis. They had worked with uh, Cameron, and they had worked with George Lucas. And they would say, you know, that the Wachowskis would come in, watch an animatic, and say, "Make it cooler," and leave the room. And everyone would kind of look around and like, okay, guys, I guess we make it a little, you know, Cameron would come in and scream about everything that you did wrong and leave mm -hmm. the room. George Lucas would bring out a laser pointer and go, that guy in the background needs to be two <laughs> centimeters taller. See the laser that the guy's pulling out of his holster? Make him do that, oh, I'd say eight frames faster. Like the George would literally, whatever you say about George, George had the laser pointer telling you what he wanted. Yeah, not just that, hey, make yeah. this scene look better. It was like, no, I think that spaceship should move eight frames a second faster than it is right now, you know. And you got to appreciate that. But all those people are the filmmakers, right? And I think yeah. that, like, and yeah. I, I think that, but I do think, I do think it is possible, uh, you know, that like there, there have been and there are, you know, executives with some kind of vision, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. um, that and, and it might not be entirely creative because again, I think they're smart enough to go. That's not my job if it's right. entirely creative. But like Alan Ladd Jr. would be like, would just get out of the way, yeah, right, and be like, and he lets his players play, right? Like, and you have you know, like Bob Evans was insane, but at the same time, like in it, you know what I mean? Like, and yeah. had a point of view, and um, you know, there are there are heads of certain networks. Um, God, his name escapes me, but he he's he's often impressive uh the guy who runs fx if he still does oh i know um, who you're talking about yeah i can't think of his name uh, off the top of and my he's head. made a lot of really high quality stuff over there yes and some stuff that's not but that's how it goes yeah. because the return of investment and the investments themselves aren't you know yeah but i but i've watched you know i watched yeah. every episode of legion and when i cannot believe this is being sent out on cable television by people who expect anyone to watch it. And I loved it, but I loved it from a perspective of like, how is this FX's superhero show? Jesus Christ. Like, right. you know, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's a painfully it, it, it was... obtuse show. And I love that about it, but amazing that 
any network executive said, oh, yeah, do this do this crazy ass thing for three seasons and we'll put some money in it. And, right. you know. and it's like and it, and it, and it has kind of a, like a, a, a polarizing reputation and, you know, divide, it divides conversation as to whether it worked and how it worked. And, you know, sometimes you get stuff that might be just a season long that's ex exactly like that. But now mm -hmm. on the other side, you have a kind of um, antlion oversight where it's like we make two seasons of it and we kill it regardless of what it is. Yeah. And it's like, did anyone over there even watch this? Like, this may have a fan base. It may not. It may be profitable. It may be not. We don't know what the numbers are because they won't share all of this. And it just gets killed. And it all feels rather perfunctory. Yeah. It feels rather perfunctory in how the process is addressed. It's not engaged with, it's kind of just dealt with and and then discarded. And mm -hmm. and the people are discarded at the same time. And um it's treated as my favorite word, content. Yeah. Right. And it just feels like a it's it's contributing to like a cultural landfill. Yeah. Well, and 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 interestingly, you know, that you mentioned landfill, the to me, one of the real terrifying things that's happening right now is that you'll get three seasons of something great. It will be canceled and that's fine. But they also never put out DVDs or Blu-rays. And then someday, a year later, they just pull it from the servers. Right. And literally, I, you can't, like it literally no longer exists. Someone makes three seasons of a television show. It's even fairly successful. And one day Paramount or Disney decides that does not need to exist anywhere and no one needs to be able to watch it at all, which seems crazy to me. It is. And, it, and it's like, and, it, and this whole thing of like pulling stuff off of streaming services, I, you know, I do understand there's some business metrics behind that in terms of the cost of carrying a show. And like the idea that sometimes when a show would go off the air, you know, you wouldn't have a DVD of it readily available. And listen, I have a show that the, the third and fourth seasons were never released on physical media. Mm -hmm. It's something that people bother me about online all the fucking time. And it drives me crazy because I have no faith. <laughs> Over what, like, I feel like, I feel like I'll be dead in a grave and somebody will come up to my grave and be like, is there any chance they're going to put season three and four out on DVD? And it's like, I don't know. Like, right. but that said, like I have, I had DVDs made for myself for that exact reason, because yeah. God forbid, like it, it, they, it, it left Netflix after the Netflix window closed and it's on AMC plus now. And who knows what the future of AMC plus is given, right. you know, the, the tumult with the streaming business models that they're having. And, and so like, you know, it's on Amazon. You can buy it. And it's like, even I don't really know where it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so it's, if it, if I, I am a big fan of a button, it just says delete. It is, yeah. it's gone. And it, and it ends up yeah. like, look, they've been doing that for, they've been doing that since the beginning. Like I remember taking a yeah. tour of Paramount with my parents in college. And there was one part of the Paramount lot. Speaking of some of these places being like museums. And there was like this two story kind of row building. And all the doors were kind of, big reinforced doors that were closed and there's no windows and someone was like what's in there you know and and the tour <laughs> guide was great he was like well the short answer is we don't know like they were like <laughs> we believe that those are those are archive or original like negative archives dating back to the 20s and 30s some of it shot on silver nitrate uh and a lot of a lot of our catalog from that period may be in those places but we have determined that if we open those doors the oxidation process and the atmospheric pressure will destroy the negatives as soon as they're exposed to the air. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's like Schrodinger's movie. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. it's like 
it exists and doesn't exist. And it's just like stuck in this weird thing. And the digital process and the streaming process has only, it's only the latest iteration of that problem. It's not some solve for it. Oh yeah, no. I mean, 90% of silent films are gone forever. Yeah. Right. You know, like a shockingly huge, I remember I would used to read in film magazine, I, there's some, some science fiction epic from the teens that I can't remember the title of, a, about a foreign invasion of the United States that sounded wild and crazy. And what exists are five uh, stills and a musical score that was composed for to be played by a live orchestra when it premiered. That's it. That's what we got. You know, do what you will with that information. And I, I appreciated there was a period, I don't know if they still do it, when Warner Brothers had managed to like digitize 99% of its archive and you could go to warnerbrothersomething.com and yeah. literally say, can you burn me a copy of Underwater City? I still have my copy of Fortune Dane. That, uh, yeah. uh, the, There's the a bunch of movies Carol that Weathers were like pilot, but, yeah. not actually released on DVD, but you could like for $25, Warner Brothers like, yeah, we'll have a PA burn this to a disc for you. Sure. And put in an envelope and send it to you. You know, like yeah. it's not going to have a box. There's not going to be any commentary. Like, don't get excited. Yeah. But it, 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 it is shocking how much is not available. The, the idea. I, I have a one of my really close friends is an executive at at, at Peacock, and um, one of my favorite shows of all time is Northern Exposure. You know, it was wow. uh, it was an HBO show before there were HBO shows and on network TV, and it was just incredible characters, incredible world. I, I you know I'm I'm I, I'm in love with it. My my wife David and I. Chase, were, right? What's that? Yeah, 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 yeah. David Chase was the showrunner on the about the second half of the 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 run. Um, uh, but but it, it, just a great show. But uh, you know you can um, you, you can you can find old shitty DVDs that uh, that don't have the original music. The music was one of the like really yeah. big selling points of the show. It it, it, oh. it really complemented the drama. But when they made those deals, they didn't make you know uh, uh, home, home, yeah home, yeah DVD you know home video was not um, uh, conceived of. And so so the DVDs you can get uh, don't have the original music on it. And, uh, and, and now, you know, you fire up Peacock, um, you know, it was a, a universal show and, and you can't get Northern Exposure anywhere. And I, I went to my friend and I'm like, Hey, what is the deal with this? <laughs> like, this is literally like one of the best shows, like this company has ever made. Why doesn't it exist? And he's like, you know what? I, I love it too. I've pitched it to him. No one cares. Yeah, <laughs> that was his thing. Is I, I'm like, really, you can't make money off of this in the age. They probably of, like, can, but it's not enough yeah. to make them care. Yeah. Exactly. Well, and that, yeah. and that's the other thing is that's that's that shows a perfect example because it wasn't. That's not an obscure show. No. That was a hit yeah. show. Yeah, that yeah. Was like it was not nominated for like twelve Emmys. Yeah, and it was also like yeah. part of the cultural conversation. It wasn't even one of those shows like you know Jag where nobody you knew watched it, but it was like a giant <laughs> hit for twenty years because everybody's grandma was in love with the leading yeah. man. You know, it, 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 there are, there are shows that like just vanish. I'm obsessed with crime story, which also wasn't available yeah. with the oh, original, yeah. original music yeah, yeah. for a long time. Someday I think someone will write a good book about the history of quality television. And I properly identify crime story as the turning point. Uh, because Michael Mann is the reason we're all 
having to make TV shows look like motion pictures. Yeah. He screwed it up for everyone. Like, Wall <laughs> Street Blues was very good, but it still looked like shit. It still looked like an American television show shot on right. a relatively shoestring budget. Miami Vice was like, no, this actually has to look like a James Bond movie. We actually yeah. have to... But a ton yeah, of money, yeah, into the yeah, yeah, and the music has to kick ass, and yeah. the whole thing has to have a rhythm and a style. And Crime Story and a, yeah. was the first one to be yeah. obnoxiously serialized, yeah. like to be like, no, I mean, I remember if you go back and watch them, I think it's the fourth or fifth episode has a recap that's twenty minutes long at the head of the episode because they're like, we know, we know, this is just becoming a critical darling now. And this is the first episode you're watching. So you're going to need 20 minutes of this happened and then this happened. And then uh, Dennis Serena punched this guy. And then uh, Anthony Denton killed this guy. And, you know, now you're up to speed. Now we have 40 minutes left to show you the rest of the episode. But, but, yeah. Yeah, it speaks, all of this, I mean, speaks to the the very essence of the business too, right? Which is that this stuff is, it's it's like, it's such a, a endeavor to indelibly capture something that is in and of itself ephemeral right yeah. like it's the, there's a great line in hail caesar the coen brothers movie when they when they make a movie and there's a big fanfare uh premiere of the movie and the voiceover is like another errant piece of gossamer and it's like <laughs> i love i think that's such it a, is that is such um, an underrated film I think it I think it's a it's a masterpiece and it's about religion in a really interesting yeah. it connects Hollywood with religion in a really fascinating yeah, it's very way strange, but like it, yeah. I, that line sticks with me so much when it comes oh, yeah. to like whatever you're working on in that moment you know it's like who at a what certain point thinking, it's like it's like what Del said Del Close called improv which is like it's toilet yeah. paper you know what I mean like it yeah. and it, it's well, it's, I, you know, uh, it's meant to be disposed of, but like it, that's, it, that's, but next, that's been taken. I feel like that's been yeah. taken to such an extreme yeah. by the powers that be that it it's we've got to swing it back a little bit the other way. I always yeah. argue though that that's. Uh, I think the first time I said this, I was the guest of honor at a Doc Savage convention, uh, but basically, it pop culture has always been intended to be disposable, and the audience refuses to dispose of it. You were right. supposed yeah, to spend yeah. your you were supposed to spend yeah. your nickel on your Doc Savage magazine, read it, and throw it in the friggin' garbage right. and walk away and never think about it again. But right. a generation of readers yeah. went, that's the most exciting friggin' novel I have ever read in my life. I am putting it under my bed, I am sealing it in a box. And now they're yeah. you know, the fact that those you things still it. exist physically at all is a friggin' miracle. The fact that well, anything can sell. That's why Action Comics number one is worth millions of dollars because everyone else threw it out. Right. You're supposed to buy. We talk about this all the time with comic books. It's a medium that where you're intended to buy it at one subway stop and throw it away when you get off at the next one. Right. Yeah. And it's like, I mean, and it's like, I feel like you now we can get into the whole thing of like the whole reason CGC exists and CBCS exists is because we're all afraid to die. You know what I mean? Like, right. that's really what it is. Yeah. <laughs> it's, that's why we, that's why I have all these little trinkets. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. They'll they'll be with me like you know like, like a pharaoh buried in the. But it's but it, I think it's chair. also to me it's a testament to the power. There you go. Yeah. But it's a testament to the power of how much people fucking love genre pop culture that they can't let go of it and they want to be yeah. connected to it and it reminds well, them. I, 
of when they were 12 and they fell in love with movies and they fell in love with comic books and they never want, they want that feeling over and over and over again. And I think that there's a, there's a comfort in that, but there's also, there's the, the occasional thing where the, the, the pop culture or the, the disposable medium, the thing, the thing transcends. And I think yeah. that the writers and the artists that, in, that engage with making the material, whether it's an episode of Andor or this comic book or, or whatever it is, like there, there, there's an effort put into that. And I think that there's, there's real value and I don't mean monetary value. There's value in entertaining someone for 20 minutes, 45 minutes, two hours, uh, over the course of six weeks, whatever it is, so that they can disengage from whatever might be plaguing them otherwise. But when that stuff occasionally transcends, there is a real value that that is there. And I think that that value uh, is being devalued by the, the entertainment industry right yeah. now, because I think there's a difference between Throw the comic book away when you're done with it. Like I, I, I love throw the comic, comic book writer away when you're done with it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's yeah. A word to put it. Throw away the fucking writer when you're done with it. Like yeah. it, it does because I love buying comic books for my sons because they're they're nine and five and like they trash them. Like you know, and mm. it's like yeah. they read them and they read them again, but they're like covers are coming off, and it's exactly the way I experienced yeah. it. Right. Yeah. And like you know, and or whatever that is they're they're watching on TV, but like. um and and like, but there's a difference between that and 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 this is content uh, devoid of, uh, and we have we are devoid of any empathy when it comes to not just the content itself, but the people who created the content. Mm-hmm. And I think you're right. I think it's treating the the artist as disposable as the stuff. Well, and you know, as an as an example, just yeah. like just like your kids, I have issues one through 109 of the first run of Star Wars, and I think I bought. Number four, I bought in a diner on the spinner yeah. rack. And then I went back and got the other one somewhere. And then I, you know, had a pull list somewhere and got all of them. I first put them in bags and boards five years ago. Yeah. <laughs> like, because I don't, because I they're comic books that I read and I like them. I'm never going to sell those friggin' things. You know, that's yeah. not the point of it. I mean, this is why, though, I mean, we're, we're pointing at this disconnect, right? I mean, I think that our culture treats this stuff one way. In the studios, the gatekeepers are treating it another way. The gatekeepers are treating it as disposable, as worthless, as one is just as good as a, 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 as another. But, but the culture, I mean, we celebrate this stuff. We fall in love with this stuff. I mean, Christy, you know, I, you said some amazing things there. The only thing I would take issue with is I wouldn't even say now that once in a while something stands out. I think that more and more things stand out. And, and of course, there's the, you know, of course, there's we see succession. And it's, it's like this is this is a pantheon show. This is one of the greatest things we've, we that's ever been on TV. And, and and you know, and let's put this up on a pedestal and all that stuff. But it's like. I mean, when we go back, it's like it's crappy cartoons that we love that we immortalize. Mm-hmm. It's Andy yeah. Sedaris movies, you know that mm-hmm. uh, you know the the first skin I saw when I was you know ten years old or whatever. The, the, the it, and it but and these things have such a romantic, uh, such a larger than life place in in my story, and, yeah. and 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 I'm not remotely alone in these things. And the idea that we don't take care of these things, the idea that you can't go to Peacock, you can't go to any streaming service and see Northern Exposure, which is, you know, is, in my opinion, maybe the best show of the 90s. I mean, it's certainly it's certainly on the short list. Right. Um, th- that's absurd mm-hmm. and crazy. And I, this disconnect is, I think, why these studios will eventually lose. I just don't think that you can I don't think you can be 
that far off the mark in terms of what the culture wants, what the people are asking for, uh, and, 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 and win. Maybe in the short term, I don't think in the long term. I think it is a losing game. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's weird. I mean, you look at our culture, our culture is, is built around this stuff. Like there's, there's, you know, uh, uh, sports, um, you know, the, the four professional sports are maybe the only thing that have as much of a, a power and influence over the people that we do. I mean, go to, you know, go to any podcast network, go to the ringer. What, what is all of the content about? It's about TV shows. It's about basketball. It's about, you know, football, um, it, it, and that's the thing. And, and I mean, I feel like, you know, I feel like sports are for the most part, I mean, you know, I, I, everything has its warps, but they're in a really good place. And, and, uh, and, uh, but, but what do they do? I mean, uh, uh, uh you know, the NBA values the people who are creating the content, you know, uh, uh, LeBron James is going to make $50 million this year, you know, um, uh, we don't make that. And all of that was accomplished through labor action, by the way. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. That's unionized players. I mean, I think that, yeah. that I yeah. think that uh, I'm a huge baseball fan, uh, mostly because my son is. But uh, um, I, I'm friends with a, a really great uh, comic podcaster named Tad Eggleston, and he does a uh, podcast called Twenty Two Panels. And we're in a fantasy league together. And I think I made some offhanded comments about these guys being paid so much money to suck or go over four. Right. And he nailed me on it in yeah. terms of union action. He was right to do so. And I thought about it. And I think when you get to, you know, aside from pop culture being indelible versus disposable and, you know, how the culture treats things as disposable and how we're in a hyper disposable kind of culture right now, just in terms of how we treat everything, where everything seems to be consumer based to a sickening degree, you know, and then and then there's how everything should be. It's, it's so disposable. It should be free. You know, uh, whether it be a TV show or a comic book or a movie or a video yeah. game or blah, 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 or piracy or all of that stuff. And then are how the studios value the, the people who make the stuff. But Tad's point to me, which I think really resonated with me, which is uh, you are a contributing um, part of an enterprise. And that enterprise makes X amount of revenue, profit. And it's decided through collective action, whether it be on the union side or management, if you're on the executive side, what uh, percentage uh, of the enterprise you contributed to, and mm -hmm. you are therefore owed that part of the enterprise. Yeah. So yeah, so people look at LeBron James and his $50 million. It's like, yeah, you know how much the NBA makes? A shitload. Right. Yeah. That's the, he's yeah. getting his part of the enterprise yeah. because yeah. he contributes a certain amount yeah. to the enterprise. And that's that part of that is the is the players' union. Yeah. Part of that is his representation team, and part of that is 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 the interfacing of management with those entities. The same thing is happening with writers right now, which is the union is in disagreement with management over how much of the enterprise we contribute to. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and to be specific, we are asking for less than one percent. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's something like point nine one percent. Yeah, yeah, along with, <laughs> yeah, along with some more yeah. kind of like, yeah, not yeah. abstract, but like uh, you know, complex things in terms of yeah. uh, protections. You know, yeah. Uh, yeah. over 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 staying a part of that enterprise. We'll say it that yeah. way, right? Because that really yeah. is, uh, that would be an umbrella for all of it, whether it yeah. be AI, room sizes, span, everything like that. Yeah, it's really that's where the disagreement is, and they're saying no, you're not even worth an extra half percent. 
Yeah. Yeah. And our no, and, is- and I will, I would say that it's, you know, baseball players, football players is a great example of they themselves are disposable. Uh, Sean Connery decided to become a movie actor. He was also considering being a footballer and he went, okay, if I'm a footballer by 35, I need, I, my life is over and my right. body is, my body is a wreck. I have zero financial value. He's like, if I'm an actor, I can work until I drop, you know, right. or did. until I, or until I make a movie with Stephen Norrington. Uh, and then I never want to work in movies again. But, uh, but you know, the, the, uh, the, that, that thing, you know, knowing how management works and knowing how corporations work, baseball players are making, you know, $15 million a year. I guarantee you they're underpaid because, well, that's the thing. because that's, businesses that's, do not part with money unless they have to. So the that is the least they can give them. Yeah, the recent lockout was again. I'll go back to what Kaiser said, which is like you know, we strike for everyone, not for ourselves. And it's yeah. that was about that was a large part of that was about um, minor league pay, right? Right, yeah. and working player pay grade, right, and 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 delay of pay, and all of that stuff, and, and um, that's that's huge. So you, of course, you get a you know superstar to stand alongside that. And that's the beauty of collective action. So when you get like Tony Kushner yeah. out there, you know, and David Simon and this and that, and there are right. And that's the, I have yeah. to say that that feels different to me this time. I feel like in the past, uh, there were more scabs and there were more producing writers and directing writers who were kind of like, I got mine. Fuck you. Fuck you people. Yeah. Uh, I don't need to stand. I have a great deal. I don't need to stand with you because it, it's not going to make me a dime. It's not going to affect my great overall deal, right? You know, with Lorimar, <laughs> right. you know, which no longer exists. Uh, I'm sorry, I've been here since the 1988 strike, so yeah, you know, my my references go back a ways. Yeah. But yeah, that's the they, they will never part with a dime that they don't have to, and you do have to hold a gun to their heads. I'm, I'm checking out the the Lorimar logo on my Action Jackson uh, yes. uh, calendar in the back. I was working. Nice. I was working at Lorimar's post-production facility when we posted Action Jackson. I remember that. I remember those one inches going out the door <laughs> for cable to, for cable TV eventually. But yeah, that's the you know it, I'm I'm feeling good uh, about the the fact that this strike coincides with the SAG and with DGA contracts coming up. It's kind of hard to see a, an end game for uh, AM. MP that doesn't include conceding uh, to at least a big chunk of these demands, but we, sh- you know, we shall see. It, you know, this won't air for a week, and who knows what will have happened in a week. Uh, by the, t- I think the day this airs, the negotiations with SAG are supposed to begin. Yeah, uh, June sixth or seventh. I've heard that they won't come back to the table with us until maybe July. Yeah. yeah. I, 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 I keep hearing it's the but both of them, but basically yeah. SAG and DGA contracts are up June 30th. Yes. So that means essentially nothing shoots after July 1st. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, yeah, I think, yeah, that it, I think that there, there's a better chance with, I think that the SAG strike authorization vote is good. It's happening now. I, yeah. I think that that's, I think that that is a good thing. Um, I don't see, I don't, you know, we'll see what the DGA does. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's going to be they they their interests sometimes can be uh, in a different alignment. Uh, I'll say it that way. Yeah, uh, the writers. 
yeah. Uh, being a member of both guilds, I will say, I can feel like I can safely say that. But uh, yeah. yeah, it's 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 something I kind of uh, I, I would be surprised if there's any kind of radical movement from the DGA. But we'll see. Yeah, it does seem that there's at least a a, a stronger vote of solidarity among all of the all of the unions in town. Yeah. So that, that is a good thing. No, and, and God bless, you know, the Teamsters have been on board since day one. Yeah. Uh, and I, my feeling is, uh, just anecdotally, at the moment, the Writers Guild isn't playing the hardball it could be playing. Like, the official strike times are nine to five. That's not anybody's call time. Right. If you want to shut down production, the strike call time is 5 a.m. But they're not doing, they haven't pulled that trigger just yet. And I think it's because they don't want all of I, I don't think all of IOTC and they don't want all of IOTC and SAG out of work just yet. It's a, uh, yeah, they're, they're, I, I have been a part of some production shutdown pickets. And, mm -hmm. and I think that they're, that, that is an interesting game of chess with, yeah. The AMPTP and also uh, the other unions because it's yeah. it you got to make sure that they're protected and yeah. and uh, it's it's kind of in an experimental phase but yeah but yeah I mean you know it's they haven't but to me at least from the outside they haven't pulled the big lever of like no let's shut down every gate at the start of production every day like that looks some locations have been shut down I I think some studio gates have been shut down occasionally. But mostly we're letting the Teamsters go in unmolested at 6 a.m. or 5 a.m. or 4 a.m. Yes, they're there. But uh, whereas if you wanted to stop them, you could stop them with three people. You know, I think I think the rule I is I did it last week. Yes, two. Yeah, two, 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 two people make a picket line. Yeah, two people and make you a can picket connect line. Two dots. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, which yeah. is which is pretty impressive. Yeah. Well, we should we should let you go and wrap up. I'm actually literally about to go down to Netflix and march with the animation Good. with the anime. I'm in the animation guild, and today is animation oh, oh day. Yeah. Oh today yeah, is animation awesome. day at Netflix. So I'm I'm gonna stroll over there. I think I will be at Warner Brothers tomorrow. Okay, nice. Yeah, I haven't been out to Warner's yet. It's funny. Right before the strike finally hit, there was a sign making party. At te at animation, yeah, I remember at animation guild hair headquarters, and I made two or three signs, but I w I got there on the on public transportation. I got there on the bus or the subway. I can't even remember. So I left my signs, and every once in a while, I'll see a picture of someone holding one of my handwritten signs. I'm like, I'm so sorry about the penmanship. I yeah, uh, you know, but you're there in solidarity now. I'm I'm a writer, not an artist, and because <laughs> it was the animation guild, there was one young woman there who did a series of amazing Batman related picket signs. That's awesome. <laughs> I don't know if she's an, she was an animator from brave and bold or from Harley Quinn or, but like there was a lot of really great Batman signs that came out of that meeting. But anyway, uh, Christopher, where can people find you and what do you got coming up next? Uh, Aside from picketing at Warner brothers. Yeah. The, I'll be at Warner brothers tomorrow morning. Uh, I'm on Twitter at if you can't well. That's where you can find me. Um, I got a, 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 a graphic novel out today called The Blue Flame, which collects all ten issues of that series I did for Vault Comics. I'm really nice. proud of it uh, and the work I did with Adam Gorham and, and Kurt, Kurt Michael Russell on that. Um, and and Has the Letterer. Uh, let's see. Star Trek Defiance is on shelves from IDW. Um, Hellcat is still is still going strong and. Uh, 
and yeah, once once the dust settles on all of this, maybe I'll be on a screen uh, somewhere at some point. And Ryland, what, uh, what have you got going on? Uh, I am at Ryland Grant on all forms of social media. If you're just listening, it's R-Y-L-E-N-D-G-R-A-N-T. I always spell it because it's not a real name. My parents just drunkenly arranged letters and saddled me with it. And so now I have to spell it for you. Um, yeah, uh, I am also, you know, on strike in a holding pattern in terms of my film, uh, TV stuff, uh, Haunted Heart will, uh, my, uh, you know, film shot in Greece with Matt Dillon and Fernando Treba will probably be out later in the year. I'll, I'll, uh, let you guys know when that is, uh, finding a theater. Um, but we shall see, uh, go get the Incredible Hulk and see my, uh, my pretty face and, uh, uh, stay tuned. Uh, Chris will uh, kill me. Before on. I kill him. Yeah. <laughs> Very soon after. Um, if you missed the uh, the Jump 3 Kickstarter, uh, you can uh, go to my backer kit shop. That's the, uh, the jump3.backerkit.com. Uh, you'll find everything jump there. And uh, it's also a one-stop Ryland Grant shop. So um, all things aberrant and banjacks and suicide jockeys and peacekeepers and, uh, and all that good stuff. And uh, look for... Um, yeah, lots of uh, lots of Immortal Studios Dynamite Entertainment stuff at uh, San Diego Comic Con, which we haven't really started talking about too much yet. But soon enough. What do you got, Avalone? Uh What do I got? Um, Elvira and Monsterland Two is out in uh, about two weeks into June. Uh, that will be the uh, Frankenstein issue titled "Frankie Goes to Hollywood." Um, mm. The first issue, it's a Vlad, 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 Vlad world, is uh, on stands now the Dracula issue um, and uh, got the CGC signing going on. Send them your comics, get them carbonated. Uh, Cause that's Are you afraid to die. <laughs> I am totally, I'm not afraid to die. I just would like the money, please. Yeah, nice. no, the, yeah, and, uh, yeah. I would never slab a comic because it's just not. Uh, I have I a lot of them. I like them. Yeah. It's, it is, it is just not a, a, of interest to me. I mean, I, if someone gave me one, I would probably be happy to hang it on my wall. Uh, that would be nice, but uh, maybe CGC will give me one. Who knows? Um, and but generally, I can be found at davidavalonefreelance.com. Uh, the nice thing about having a name you could get bullied for in the 1970s when you were a kid is I'm very easily Googled. Uh, there's really only one David Avalone on the first nine or ten pages of uh, of Google. On page 11, you meet Lieutenant uh, David Avalone, a veteran of the United States Army, who's a lawyer now. Seems like a very nice guy. Good dude. Doesn't doesn't write comic books or television. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but that's where I can be found, and that'll branch you off to everything that I'm doing. And of course, I will be at San Diego Comic Con in a month and change, and I'm already exhausted thinking about the Batan Death March of Comics uh, coming my way. But uh, thank you so much, uh, Christopher, for joining us. It was a great talk, and thanks everyone for watching and listening. And we will see you on the next exciting episode. See you soon. Thanks, guys. Take care. If you're watching us on YouTube, be sure to smash that like button. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts or other fine purveyors of ear crack, please leave us a five-star review. And wherever you're watching and or listening, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. We'll see you back here next week for more madcap hijinks on the Writer's Block. For more information, visit PendantAudio.com. Thanks for listening.